This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Welcome to another great episode of Reclaiming Families. We're very excited uh, to have you listening um, to us today, with us today. Um, We have a great interview, but before we get to it, we wanted to remind you all to check out our Instagram and our Facebook page um, to like it and follow. Maybe even give us some reviews on our podcast. Absolutely, because we... Um, it does help it. It helps uh, get the podcast out, and yeah, we want uh, and share them around. Our last couple series, while we haven't, we've had a few weeks in between, but they have been really good series. Like the people right. we've been interviewing are encouraging. Yep, top notch. And so, uh, so yeah, um, please leave us a review and uh, check us out on social media. So today um, we have a very special guest with us in continuing our series in the pro-life movement. And this week we get to take a little bit of a different direction, which is a ministry called Deeper Still. And Deeper Still ministers to women and men who are post-abortive. And so they get to see a lot of just the redemption that can take place after an abortion. And so today we have the privilege to talk with Karen Ellison, who is the founder of Deeper Still. So Karen, welcome to the Reclaiming Families podcast. Amen. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're so glad to have you. Um, if you would, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, part part of what came out of me developing Deeper Still is I had an abortion when I was 22 years old. And I was a Christian at the time. And this was in 1981. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, even though abortion was barely talked about, at least in evangelical circles or uh, maybe even in prodigal, I'm sorry, <laughs> Protestant churches. I mean, the Catholic church was really the one that had, uh, you know, had, um, you know, talked about it and brought it to people's attention and so forth. So, you know, when I think back then, there's there's so little information we had based on compared to what we have today. Right. But still, nonetheless, um, I, you know, I did have a conviction or at least I know enough about if you were pregnant, that meant you were pregnant with a baby. It's like, I didn't have any kind of like idea that this was just a clump of tissues or this wasn't really, um, you know, a human. I did know, I did have that conviction, but um, I think part of what uh, came out of my uh, testimony and the thing I needed to be uh, stepped into when I was going through my healing was just you know, the, the guilt that I should have known better. Mm-hmm. And why was it that, what made me surrender to the pressure that I was feeling um, to the, um, you know, other people, what they thought I should do? And and what is about that? Why couldn't I stand up for what I believed? And why could I not defend the life of my child? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, all that, um, you know, happened over you know, some period of time, but yet uh, I came to realize that you can have a belief and you can have a conviction, but there's other forces that can be stronger than how that at least feels to you in the moment. Hmm. Fear is really strong. 
pressure is really strong. Um, feeling like you disappointed your family or, you know, whatever it is that you're processing. And at least in my case, those voices and that became louder, stronger, and I did not have the, the courage or the wherewithal to stand against that. And part of that was, you know, it's like, well, I'll, I'll be a further disappointment. I will, and I'll suffer some kind of rejection, you know, and all that just, I just wasn't emotionally healthy or mature enough in that, in that uh, time in my life to, uh, to overcome those things. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, one of the things I'll say a lot to like in churches or just to Christians is like, you know, it's not enough to just have a conviction. You have to have a community. Yeah. You have to have you have to power uh, the power to overcome whatever those spirit, whether they're spiritual forces, family kinds of dynamics, whatever uh, is warring against you. And in, in this case, and against um, a life of a of a baby or a child, uh, that's where you really need uh, a community to come around you and and hold up your arms or just help you say, no, you can do this. Yeah. You know, and I think you know, years later. Um, because of the Lord's pursuit of me, um, which was surprising to me that, you know, he wanted to pursue me. Um, Cause I really felt like I forfeited the call of God in my life. I mean, I felt like I knew God would forgive me. I mean, I don't know enough about forgiveness and God would forgive me, but I did, I did feel like I forfeited whatever he had for me in my life. And so I was going to kind of shrink back into the background and be a good church girl or whatever, but I would, you know, I wouldn't stir up any trouble, you know, and, um, but part of what in the Lord's pursuit of me, um, I really experienced, I really understood grace in a deeper way that I ever, that I ever did before. You know, you kind of like have a theolo- theology about grace, but until you really are desperate for your, you know, just to be healed and cleansed and set free, uh, you really, it's almost like you have to experientially experience the grace of God yeah. to really, to really come to a place of knowing the power of it. So ultimately, um, he led me, I, I got involved in the crisis pregnancy center movement. And, um, and, and I like one of the ways I describe that is, you know, he healed me enough when I stepped into that, where I wasn't going to hurt people. I wasn't going to like damage people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, it, but still, during that time, I mean, it was a process. He was still growing me. He was still healing me during that during that time. And um, we began a, a post-abortion Bible study. And this was, again, this was like mid-80s by this point. And that was really, there's nothing else out there. Um, this all was just like new. And, and there were people, pioneers, thankfully, in the movement that were scrambling to say, well, what do we do now? What do we do with all these? What do we do with these women that have had abortions? And and so, you know, Bible studies started to, to come. So I, uh, you know, I, I went through that Bible study as well as led through people through that Bible study. So I kind of like walked that same road with them. Okay. And the Lord really did do, you know, some beautiful things in my heart. And, you know, layer by layer, he began to heal me and set me free. Um, but then also, I, and you know, I began to hear stories of, you know, of other women and who, and just the devastation that they had experienced. And even though I had my own devastation, it, you know, there were, I heard stories on a scale that I never even, 
I don't even know how people survived some of the things that they have been through. So mm-hmm. the Lord really just broke my heart. He's like, you know, my grace has protected you from a lot of things, but this is what's out there. This is what, this is what people's living with. Will you, you know, will you join me in binding up the brokenhearted and yeah. setting the captive free? And this has to be a ministry of my church. If my church is not going to do this, my church is not going to reach these people. Who is? It's mm, good. Yeah, who is? Who's going to? Who's going to be my spokesperson? Who's going to be my hands and my heart? So anyway, the Lord and I. So you know, we began. I was like, okay, Lord, you know, what do you want to do here? So ultimately, some years after that, um, when I moved to Knoxville, I'm not from Knoxville originally, but my husband is. Got married, moved to Knoxville, and um, and the Lord really began to put on my heart. Uh, this concept of a retreat, you know, and and there's things about a retreat that are just so like the perfect environment to go deep with people. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I think can be um, limiting if you're doing just a Bible study is it's real because I've done it myself. I tend to do this myself. Uh, you feel like, well, if I just get my homework done, you know, <laughs> if I study hard, I get my homework done. That means I you know, I've done it. I've, I've completed the, the, I've done what I had to do. So, you know, you can do all that and like, well, why do I still feel like not quite free? Why do I feel like not, not quite? So it's like, I knew that you, you got to help people get down to a heart level because you can easily kind of keep it academic. It's like, what can we do to help drill this down where they're experiencing the presence of the Lord? They're experiencing uh, like he's speaking to them. He is right there with them. He is ministering to them as they go. And so that really what became this retreat model. And I also felt like the Lord wanted it to be not just about like me leading something or like just a facilitator, but I really felt like he wanted this to be a team approach. And so the way we do our retreats anyway, is we have a ministry team and people have different roles on that team. And there's uh, there's women on, and uh, there's women who've had abortions on that team and gone through their own healing. There's um, women that haven't had abortions on that team. There's men who've uh, participated in abortions and men who haven't. And so if you're abortion wounded and you're a Christian particularly, you're afraid of everybody. I mean, everybody. <laughs> you you think people see the big A across your forehead. Mm. You feel like they're just, they're just, you know, you kind of feel naked like they're going to know you. And so... And you you kind of have uh, you kind of have a sense that well, if you've had an abortion, maybe you'll have some compassion for me. But if you haven't had an abortion, why should I trust you? Because uh, you don't know my heart. You don't, and I don't know what you're going to. I don't know how you're going to reject me. I don't know how you're going to judge me. So we knew that part of this ministry team had to be people who've um, both had abortions and, and Christians have haven't. Because because if you're the wounded one, you need the assurance that no matter who's hearing your story, they're not going to judge you. They, you know, they've walked their own journeys of healing and whatever, you know, whatever they've been through in life. And so really it's just the body of Christ coming together, you know, kind of surrounding one another. And like, we're in this together, you know, we're we're not any better than you. You know, we're still, we're as human as you are, but uh, we have a a few tools we picked up along the way that we can really, you know, lower you down through the roof. Hmm. And and we're counting that an honor and privilege to lower you down the roof and put you right before Jesus. So it's really important for us. Like the is environment is everything. Like you know how Jesus said. Like this is one of the phrases I like to say when he said to his disciples, "Go and prepare the place." 
like when they did the upper room, it's like, go prepare the place and I'll come. It's good. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what we do. Like we feel like our first, uh, uh, you know, the first thing we got to do is we're being charged with go and prepare the place. And so part of that is not only is there an, a, a beautiful environment that we create in that, but we do a lot of worship and a lot of just praying. And so like we really, we really invite the Lord's presence because when the Holy Spirit is in the room and his peace and his presence, when you walk in that room, whether you're a believer or not a believer, something in you is like, all right, this is, this is a, it's peaceful here. You know, people will say that they'll say, I don't know what to do. I don't know who you people are. I don't know what we're going to do, but I do feel peace. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know? So people just take, they, they take steps of courage when they feel the presence of God, whether they know it's God yet or not. So um, that's really how the retreats got started. And, and I could just tell you miracle after miracle after miracle. Like, uh, you know, the Lord is really, you know, his thing is like, listen, I'm doing the healing, but I'm asking you to be my human vessels. Like, I'm going to touch people through you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to look in someone's eyes through you. So if you will yield your, your temple, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you would yield your temple and let me do the work, you're going to see things that you didn't even know were possible. Hmm. And that is what God does. And so, you know, no matter how horrific someone's story is, and I've heard probably the most horrific stories. I mean, I can't even make it up. I can't even make it up some of the things we've heard. And if we were just doing this on our own, we'd be like, this is impossible. Like, I don't even know what to say to this person. I don't even know where to begin. Like, you know, that's kind of how we feel a lot. We feel like, Lord, if you don't do this, nothing's going to happen. I mean, they'll get a nice meal and they'll think it's pretty up here. But if you're really going to transform these hearts, you have got to do this. And he, every time he does it. And so it really keeps you in a place of hum, you know, you're just humble, like, okay, Lord, it's all about you. We're just here to serve. We're yielding to you. And now he shows up and he does the most miraculous things. Now people have to be willing on their end. You know, the Lord's not going to force his healing on anybody. Right. Sure. You know, he's going to woo you. He's going to woo you and he's going to help your defenses come down. And he's going to use these beautiful human beings to show the love of God. But the thing that melts um, that melts our hearts when we have hardened hearts or fearful hearts, what melts our hearts? The love of God. It's the love of God that melts your heart and then you begin to trust him mm. or you begin to trust those people that he is working through. And so anyway, so that's why I love these deeper still retreats so much because they're just saturated in the presence of God and people like they feel like they come home. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Come home. Karen, how did you come up with the name Deeper Still? Seriously, the Lord gave it to me. Because I was just really in prayer. This was years ago now. I was just in prayer one one time. I'm like, it had, it had gotten to the point where, because I was developing this as I went. It wasn't like I had this curriculum already made up. It was right. kind of like the Lord just said one step at a time. You know, if you can identify the key things that people need to heal their abortion, wound and heart. You know, write, write those things down, and then I'll open I'll open up each one of those, and I'll, and I'll show you what to do. And so it, it was just like that, just step by step. But it got to the point where I was like, "Well, Lord, do you want to call this something? Like, what do we call this?" And I I just heard in my spirit, deeper still. And and what, and what he was saying in that was, 
I'm naming it something that's also an invitation. Hmm. So that, that's what it is. It's, it's the Lord's invitation to say, I can take you deeper. If you're willing to go there, I'm willing to take you there. And so a lot of times as Christians, we settle for the surface experience or the first, the, you know, we take our first step into something and we think, oh, well, I've dealt with it. And for the abortion wounded, this is like so huge, especially for Christians that are abortion wounded. What they will all, you know, a very common response is if they will, if they will even tell you that they've had an abortion, the response is usually something like, um, well, I've dealt with that. I mean, that was many years ago. I dealt with that. And then you're kind of, well, how was that? That, you know, and then the very first thing is, well, I know I'm forgiven. Mm. And so it's like, okay. And, and so for that person, it's like, I'm forgiven. What, what else do you need to know? Like, where else? I'm in that it. I mean, I'm done. I'm forgiven. Right. And so, but if you try to probe in a little deeper, you'll still find mm. that they can't talk about it. Yeah. They can't say the word abortion. Uh, they will avoid it at all costs. Um, I mean, that's how I was. I couldn't even say the word abortion. Like it would get stuck in my throat. And if the subject came up, I was leaving the room or I was leaving the conversation because I I knew I would somehow fall apart. And I didn't know who you were. And why would, why would I want to fall apart in front of you? Right. You know? I found a way to exit, exit. Mm. And uh, so that's really, we live, we defend our hearts at all costs when we're full of guilt and shame and grief. And so what the Lord wants to do in that deeper invitation, he wants to get, you know, he wants to go layer by layer and layer, go all the way to the bottom where he needs to get rooted. He needs to do something there. And that's, that's the beautiful work he did. He does. Um, and the deeper still journey. That's good. Yeah. That's an incredible name. I, uh, I think, you know, some pastors probably start a church named deeper still, you know, for all the woundedness of life. You know, I think that's yeah. the, that's the thing. Um, but so is deeper still, is it today? Is it still, um, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing blank on it, but is it a Doing come retreats. together retreats? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that yes. mainly what it is? Uh -huh. okay. So we do retreats. And so here in Knoxville, so this you call it, you know, we kind of call it our home office here in Knoxville cause I live here. And, um, and so we do three or four retreats a year and we do them up in the mountains. We have a, uh, a lodge up there with uh, another ministry we partner with to use their facility. And uh, our retreats are all free of charge. And that's the other thing that the Lord really uh, burned my heart with from the very beginning. He's like, you know, um, part of what I'm going to show them here is my grace. My grace is free and my grace is sufficient. And they can't add, you know, they can't buy it. You, know, you can't buy your grace. You can't buy God's healing. It's like, it's really kind of a humbling thing where you just have to come just as you are. You have nothing to bring to this except your pain and your woundedness. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, that's part of what I'm saying to them. And so, so that's why we, um, we offer them free of charge. And so therefore, you know, of course we have to do fundraising. We, you know, we're 501c3 yeah. and, um, but but we feel like that was a really important component to this kind of healing journey. That's good. Um, you know, one thing that you all, that just in kind of getting to know you all a lot, and you've even said it a few times, is the term ab abortion wounded heart. Mm -hmm. And you've even started to describe that a little bit. But when you use that phrase, abortion wounded heart, can you tell us a little bit more kind of what you mean when you say that? Yeah. 
That's a really important question, actually, and it's an important distinction too. So a lot of times, um, like if I just said to you, and, and I know you guys are much more um, um, attuned to this, but just the average person on the street, if you had asked them, what is what is abortion or what does abortion do? It, you're going to get a uh, either a, a medical, you're going to hear medical terminology, you're going to hear about a surgery, you're going to hear about a, a chemical um, pill that you took. And ultimately, you're not, you know, the outcome is ultimately you're not pregnant anymore. But what you're not going to hear is, well, what happened to your heart? What did that physical procedure you do, you did, what did that do to your heart? How did that change your life? How did that affect your identity? So we like to say abortion wounded heart to bring attention to this is a heart issue. Yeah. Even though there was a there was a, a life that was destroyed in this, there was a baby's life that was taken in this. But that wasn't the end of your abort, you know, the abortion procedure was just the beginning. It wasn't the end of this thing. It wasn't the end of your crisis. It actually opened up a door to uh, you know, a whole world of crisis that you you don't even know about. And um so so I think the maybe one way to understand it is abortion uh, is first a spiritual issue. It's not first a physical issue. Right. Abortion is first and foremost a spiritual issue. Now it manifests emotionally, psychologically, relationally, and even physically. It manifests in all kinds of ways, yeah. but it is first a, a spiritual issue. And until you deal with it spiritually, you're not going to receive healing emotionally, relationally, and, and that kind of thing. So that's why we like to identify we're going to the heart of the matter when it comes to um, how, you know, the wake of your abortion and what you, who you are now and what you live with. So, um, so the sin of abortion is taking, it's shedding innocent blood. And that's what the Bible refers to shedding innocent blood. And it's the sin of murder because you're shedding innocent blood. Well, think about that for a minute, just from a spiritual standpoint. Um, we are not made, God did not make us to bear the weight of moral guilt. He didn't make your soul to be able to handle if you're carrying the weight of moral guilt. You know, so it's like, how do you get released from that? How does that, how do you get that weight off your shoulders? Well, the only way you can get released from, from you know, true moral guilt is you need to, it needs to be atoned for. That's right. And the only way it can be atoned for is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, you know, he is, was the atonement. You know, his, and, you, and so once you get that off your shoulders, once you get that off your, you know, your conscience, uh, which is all that we, we help people lead them through that during a retreat. And then um, you can begin to identify, okay, how, how is this emotionally manifesting in me? And a lot of times people don't even know. They, they're, they might be like, well, I mean, I, I think I'm fine. And so we begin to break it down. So like, for example, we have an intake form that we have people fill out before they come to retreat, just to give us an idea of their story a little bit. Right. And, and so people might say, we even have a thing on there that says on a scale of one to 10, where do you think you are in your healing journey? And people will, you know, people might circle eight. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty there. I feel like I'm pretty good. And then, but on another page, we ask them, well, if you had to identify some of these, maybe what you call symptoms, that you might be living with as part of you, what would those be? And you'd be amazed at how many people, we have about 30 of those on there. And people, oftentimes they will circle 25 of them, you know, and you're like, 
And, and so part of it, you know, feeling that out helps break your denial. Like, well, yes, I, I do deal with depression. Yes, I do kind of, kind of have shame. I do have that. My marriage is stressed. Yes, I do. I am, you know, I'm kind of addicted to that. Or, you know, the substances, they'll start naming. Um, and so that helps them go, whoa, well, if I'm fine or if I'm almost, you know, eight out of 10, why, why do I still live at this bondage? Yeah, it's almost and like they're not, like, maybe not seeing the connection or in denial of the connection, the connection. And they're not seeing the connection. They're not attributing it to it. So one of the things that can be helpful is tell me about your life before your abortion and tell me about your life after your abortion. And people, when you have a trauma like that, people have a before life and they have an afterlife. Right. And once you help them recognize that and identify, well, okay, you're right. I didn't, I mean, I, I wasn't, a, I didn't do drugs before I did this. Why do I do them now? What am I hiding? What am I trying to anesthetize? What am I, why am I doing that? <laughs> you know, so, <clears throat> but if I had to break the abortion wounded heart down into maybe just three component parts. I mean, I could name a whole bunch of them, but let me just name the three most common. And that is feelings of guilt, shame, and grief. Guilt, shame, and grief. Okay. So those are three big markers. And so when we feel guilt, whether it's true guilt or even kind of a false guilt, because there can be that too. But if I feel guilt, uh, guilty about something, what do I do? If I don't, if I'm running from God, because I figure he he's mad at me or he he's he doesn't want to talk to me so i'm running from god because i'm a little afraid to face him even if i'm a, a believer i'm like uh, so what do i have to do well i have to self-atone if i'm not ready to receive the true atonement that jesus offers me well i got to feel better about myself somehow because because uh, i don't feel good about myself i might not admit that to you but I don't feel, so I have to self-atone. Well, how do I self-atone? Well, I can, um, I can try to be perfect. I can try to be the perfect mom. I can try to be, you know, if, if I had this abortion because of my career, then I have, I must excel in my career to justify why I made that sacrifice. Like I have to make it worth it almost. I have to make it worth it. I have oh. to justify it and over and over my mind. So it's, that's really all about self-atonement. And because you need to feel good about yourself. So you got to excel in something. That's how you deal with your guilt, how you deal with your shame. I've observed a lot of things, but there's there's two extremes I've seen in how people deal with their shame with abortion. One is you you cower. You don't look people in the eyes. Uh, you you know, you're kind of like like a worm, you know. You you do things to uh, you just don't fully engage, you do not share your heart, you you just have shame. And so in that, um, you can get into self-punishment. That's where people get into. They might uh, do self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. So you might get into addictions. You might get into promiscuity. You might get into cutting, eating disorders. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in self-loathing. You know, you don't, again, you're not attributing it to, I have a big giant wound. You're just, I don't know, you're just thinking this is just what you do in life and, and life is painful and, you know, this is how you cope. Yeah. And so the other extreme way that people sometimes shame manifests is you get loud and you get angry. Mm. You get loud and you get angry and you shout your abortion because you feel like if you do that, if you get loud and angry and protest and do all those things, 
that you you you're hoping that you're you can be louder than that shame that is inside there and you're trying to cover it and like how dare you i'm not ashamed i'm proud of my abortion and it was the best thing i ever did and you'll hear all those kinds of things well i just think that's another reaction to trauma guilt and just shame you have to um you have to be louder than it and then grief you know if uh if you've had abortion wounded heart you're carrying grief yeah but the thing is that's um, important to understand about that is it's an undefined grief. And if you can't name your loss, you can't grieve your loss. Mm. If you can't name that it was a baby, it was your baby that you lost. If, if you can't name that that's what, that's what you aborted, then there's kind of like this nebulous cloud of just sadness that kind of follows you around, but it's never resolved. Yeah. It never comes to a resolve. It, you never come to peace with it because you can't name what it is, but it is in you and it's manifesting in different ways. So those are probably the, the three big markers, I would say, that, that is pretty universal for people who have abortion wounded hearts. And so and so the Lord, you know, he wasn't he doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to heal you. And forgiveness and healing are two different things. If you see forgiveness as as canceling your debt, like Jesus paid the price to cancel the debt that you owe, that's forgiveness. You no longer, this is, you're not going to be held against you in that sense. You are free from the debt. But that, but there's a journey between canceling your debt and letting and having your heart be free, healed, right. and whole, and that you have hope for the future, and that you're that you um, like a lot of times how I, and I even viewed this myself that way. It's like, you just kind of feel like, okay, well, if I could just get forgiven, then at least I know I'll get to heaven. And so I'll just, you know, I'll just muddle my way through life until then, you know, where the Lord is like, no, we don't stop at forgiveness. Your life, so much has been stolen from you because of this abortion wounded heart that I, you know, I, I still have a destiny. I still have a calling on your life. You, you have stewardship, like you have living children. Um, and because abortion affects how you parent, mm. it affects how you do your uh, marriage. It affects every relationship that you have. And so even if we have, like say we see women who go to our retreats and their husband, they didn't have their abortion with their husband, but that husband is, is in essence um, living with the consequences where her heart is not healed. And so she can't give her whole heart to him. Or if he's the one that's had the abortion in one of his past relationships, he's withholding his heart. He's withholding his, his, um, his, maybe his uh, fight as a, as a protector, as a provider, as a leader, all that has been crippled to some degree or another in him. And so his family is not benefiting because his heart is not fully in because his heart's not fully whole. So a lot of times we'll have maybe the wife will come to the retreat first and she'll get her heart back. And so then when she goes home, I mean, will you go home a different person? Then the dynamic of your relationship is going to change because you're choosing to do healthy now. And if you've settled into, we kind of do mutual unhealth, <laughs> you know, something's going to spark there. Something's going to be like, Whoa. so then a lot of times um, um, the husband, if they had the abortion together, he might come at a later time and receive his healing, or maybe he had an abortion in his former life with a, with somebody else, but he still has an abortion wounded heart too. Mm -hmm. 
And so until those hearts are healed and made whole, your, your marriage and your family is not going to be able to have the freedom to operate in the call of God in your life and to be fully engaged in, in God's call on your life. And so would you say that that's just because you're still living with the guilt and shame or like there's some, um, you know, like attachment injuries there almost or um, like, yes. what do you think kind of causes that? Um, or just like that you have this secret that you can't fully like, uh, like it's such a huge part of you, like that's a child that was your child that is gone. And then there's all this, like, I guess it's just so complex. I'm wondering if you can kind of pinpoint a few things that kind of makes that distance in, in all your relationships. And maybe well, it's it something is, you've already hit on a little bit too. Yeah, it, it is complex. And of course, people, everyone's different in kind of how they handle their trauma or how they walk through or how they manage their guilt, pain, and shame. Mm-hmm. You know, people manage it in different ways. And some people can hide it really well. Other people can't hide it really well. Mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, there's tons of women that have come to our retreats and have never told their husband that they had an abortion. Or there's men that are there, but they've never, like they'll say, they'll say to their husband, they're going to a women's retreat. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't have problems with saying because, but it's like, they're not at the place where they can reveal that to their husband. And they've maybe been married for years. Or same with men. There'll be men that come that have never told their wives. And a lot of times people will never, um, you know, they never dream. In fact, one of their big fears in life is when their children grow up and they become, you know, they become aware of what abortion is. Or they, you know, and uh, they, can't, they can't even imagine telling their children. Well, part of that is why. So why? Why do I, why? And so you have to realize, well, my children are going to think I'm, and they have a whole list. You know, they're going to think I'm a bad person. They're going to think, um, you know, why did you do that? Or and then and then for the child, they're like, "Are you kidding? You mean I have a sister? I have a brother in heaven?" And you know, there's all those dynamics. But what you know, I tell people is, if you bring God into, if you bring the Lord Jesus into your journey, because it's your journey with Him, He is going to give you grace and. It's going to be amazing how he will restore if you will trust him. But you've got to bring the hidden things into the light. Yeah. If, if you live in the darkness, you're going to stay in the darkness, and it's going to open up spiritual dark doors for your family line. I mean, you know, there's generational things that happen here. But but I always, like I tell people a lot of times, someone in the family has to pioneer it. Who's going to pioneer the healing? Who's going to pioneer that I'm not going to follow the pattern of my you know, my family that keeps things in the closet and no one ever talks about it. And, you know, I'm going to be the one that's going to step out and say, I, I want to live at a higher level than that. I want to live for what Jesus has for me. And I want to save my children from being vulnerable to the same spiritual strongholds that, you know, that I succumb to. One of the things that we also do at the retreat after we do, you know, like really gospel presentation and really pray people through that, um, being released from the guilt and shame. We give them a way to, uh, we give them a tangible way. We have a lot of tangible symbols. We give them a way to, um, 
to tangibly grieve their children. Like now that you're calling it what it is, you know, this is your, this is your son, this is your daughter, these are your kids, you know, so we give them actually a teddy bear. We give them a teddy bear for each one of their aborted children. And we give them a time just to be on a rocking chair and to hold these, um, these symbols of their children and, and they can cry, they can, they can, they talk to them. I mean, I'm on, I'm on, I mean, I know that we are videoing this, but right. um, I can just say that one of the most precious things I'd ever seen was in one of our retreats on one of these moms and she had a whole bunch of bears, she had a whole bunch of them. And what she did is she looked each one of them in the eye. She had Kleenex because she was crying. She had a Kleenex and she like wiped the tears of each one of her bears, like as if she knew her children longed for this moment of reconciliation yeah. and she was able to honor them and she dried their tears as much as her tears. I mean, it was like, holy, like we just sat back and we're like, <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. It's like, Lord, that you would give us the honor to watch you do this amazing encounter with your people and your children and her children and your children. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing. It's like holy ground. It's like you can't even talk about it. It's so sacred. Yeah. And and you just realize that the Lord has invited you in. Sorry. He's That's invited awesome. you into that room where he's going to do a healing. And he's like, I trust you to be in the room with me. And so when we get to do that as a team, you're, you're just different. You change. You're like, okay, this is how God works. This is how the spirit of God works if you let him in the room and if you let him in your heart. So... You know, after we have that kind of experience, then we also address this has affected your mothering and this has affected your fathering. And so we we do another symbolic thing where we pray for their mother's heart to be restored. We pray for the father's heart, his courage and his his um his warrior spirit, his leadership to be, you know, that to be healed and so that he can rise into that, you know, that place of leadership. And um, so we pray over their mother and father's hearts. We also spend time praying over what we call strongholds and soul ties. And what we mean by that, those are the habitual sins that you probably have been in your life. And it made you vulnerable to abortion in the first place. So you need to cut those ties. You need to shut those dark spiritual doors or that's always going to plague you. Will you talk a little bit more about that? I've heard... A few people recently talk about, um, like the, the soul ties. Setting of soul ties. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're not just uh, we're not just physical, biological beings. God made us spirit, soul, and body. And when you have, when you, um, when your heart gets, entang- when you become one flesh with someone, your heart gets entangled. It's not just your body. It's like your heart. It's your mind. It's like. And that's how God designed us to be. But when that is done outside the context of marriage, you are attached to those people in a spiritual or soulful way. And you don't just, like when you physically break up with them, you know, you don't just automatically, everything is, you know, now or you go your way, I go away. You have memories, you have um, you have ties, you have ties to those people. And, and your heart is still, uh, it's not fully whole. And so how can you can't give your whole heart to a spouse if you have soul ties everywhere, you know? So we, we do a prayer exercise where we break, we sever those ties. And it's really a repentance. It's really, uh, Lord, I repent. I renounce that um, unholy relationship I had with that person. Would you renew my mind? Would you 
cause my heart to come fully back so that I am whole and I'm not being torn here. And, and so that I can, if I am married, I can fully give my heart to my spouse. And that works both ways. It's one of the most powerful parts. It's the thing that helps people not just be forgiven and healed, but it helps them to walk in new, healthy relationships. So do you know that statistically speaking, um, half the abortions that are done in, in the country really are repeat abortions. Hmm. So, and many, you know, some of them, it's, some people have multiple abortions. So why is it that you keep going back? Like, what is it that keeps pulling you back in? Why can you not be free from that? Well, part of that is it's a spiritual bondage. It's a spiritual stronghold that keeps pulling you back into that because you're still vulnerable to, you know, whatever that lure was that made you, you thought was going to make you feel secure. But really, it's it's just a pattern of self-destruction. And then we also do a memorial service um, at the end of the retreat where we just memorialize those children. And that, too, is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever been involved in that I've ever witnessed is to see how God shows up when people, they came in to the retreat not even being able to baby, to call it a baby. They're leaving that retreat, honoring their children in the most beautiful ways that you can imagine. And it's almost like laying claim to your children, like lay claim to your children, because you can be spiritually reconciled with them on earth. You're gonna be relationally reconciled in heaven, you know, for all eternity, but, but you want to remove the offense. And I think that's why so many aborted mothers and fathers feel, you feel ambivalent about heaven, because even though, you know, like heaven's perfect and Jesus is there, but it's like, okay, well, I want to see everybody in heaven, but how am I going to face my children? Like, what am I going to say? And you've, and, you, and so that keeps you like in conflict. Well, that's not true. That's not true. And so, but what you have to do is, is remove that, that wall of offense, which, which we do when we see what Jesus, he paid the price that when that wall of offense is, then your heart is open and you're like, oh my gosh, here are my children. And they're like, mom and dad, I mean, they, they, God has not taught your children unforgiveness. You know, it's like the Lord wants to reconcile that and spiritually it can be reconciled now and you can honor your children now. And I think one of the saddest things is of all the aborted children out there um, that are in, I believe, with the Lord. But when you think about the millions upon millions that the, that it's so sad that the, a mother and a father, those children on earth will never lay claim to them. Mm. Yeah. And so what an honor it is when, um, when, when, when mother, those mothers and fathers come to the Lord and, and are reconciled and are healed and forgiven, and they can lay claim to those children and honor them. That, I believe, heaven rejoices so, like we can't even imagine. The celebration goes on in heaven when, when a mother and a father repents, receives healing, and receives a reconciliation that's eternal. And while all that they lost here on earth, they have eternity to gain it back. You know, and what a great gift to give. What a great gift to give those who, who um, even of your own choice, you chose to reject your children on earth. But God says it doesn't have to end there. It doesn't have to end there. I can restore that in ways that you can't even imagine. Yeah. So, so that's what the Lord is so willing and able to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think his redemption is un like 
it's incredible. It's unfathomable. We can't imagine, you know, the redemption that's going to take place. And, but you keep saying a healed heart, a healed heart, and and I, you know, you've mentioned some things about it, like, you know, uh, you know, I imagine a healed heart's a a strong heart that's able to receive grace and forgiveness and connect with others and to connect with others, vulnerability, parenting, yeah. um, but. I would also imagine in some ways, like, your heart probably never fully heals. Like, you always carry... Um, we can be... Yeah, like, yeah. I, would, I just kind of wonder, what was a healed heart? Like, what would you say is, hey, um, you know, so-and-so's heart, like, I think that the Lord has, you know, healed her. Like, what, what, would, you, what would you say? Well, I think there's, um, there's, how I put it, like, there's... Um, little manifestations that show it and then there's kind of big ways that it shows like and, and maybe the most primary way it shows which was part of my story is like um what when i had that abortion i lost my voice and i like i said i couldn't say the word abortion i certainly wouldn't talk about it and um and so then it, you know if you're not able to share if you're not able to like i remember one time when i shared my story it was actually in a church setting this was some, and it was the first time i ever publicly gave my testimony which was hugely scary but at the same time i was at a i was at a point where like lord i can do this like i can do this and so we did it and i remember someone most people were like oh thank you for sharing that and you know they were blessed just to hear god's what god does but i remember at least one person um came up to me afterwards and they really struggled they struggled with um how could you have been a christian and have and i don't understand how you could be a christian and have an abortion or you know, and I remember the thing that was profound for me about that was when even though I heard that person was struggling with me, I wasn't struggling with me. Mm-hmm. Like that person's struggle didn't set me back. You know what I'm saying? It's like I recognize that they're working through stuff and the Lord's going to help them with, you know, whatever their issue is or their judgment or their whatever. But I don't it doesn't. Uh, my heart is free. And I don't have to get caught in a snag with that. And I didn't have to, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a step back for me. So that was a huge thing for me. But um, I think also, you know, one of what I call the silent army, like the, the abortion wounded that are not healed, they're not going to speak up for life. They're not going to defend the unborn because they feel like a hypocrite mm-hmm. until, again, until you get that weight off of you and you get your heart restored and you're not, you're not your identity is not abortion that used to be i felt like that was my identity and so it, it you know it's kind of woves into everything you do and all how you think and all those kinds of, once you're freed from that then it's you, you don't listen to the enemy's lies anymore it's like you can be an advocate for life and you can have authentic christian relationships i can't tell you how many christian women and men that we minister to that they have been in small group home groups on staff at churches they've been in ministry their whole life they know each other but they don't know that about each other it's kind of like well we talk about this this is this we've had all all kinds of wonderful experiences together we're walking in christ together we study the bible together we worship together but we don't know this about each other and so i feel like you know until that real that you can be healed at whole enough where you can be truly authentic yeah. Then you're only going to be walking with a limp. Now, when you refer to, um, uh, are you ever really totally healed kind of a thing? I think the one way I would say that is um, you, you're healed in the sense that you're not in bondage anymore 
and you're free in that sense. However, it's not that you don't have appropriate sadness for losses. Like, like, like I, you know, that my children, I believe that I was pregnant with twins and I really didn't know that. I didn't feel like the Lord showed me that two years later, but it's like, you know, I don't, I don't live in this tormenting regret and grief and I just can't let it go and I can't move on and my heart's not, and I don't have not so long. I have joy. I have, I mean, I have way, uh, my heart is whole and Jesus and I are moving on and but it's kind of like, you know how sometimes, this is how I think about it sometimes, you know, if you've lost a loved one, a family member, and they're, you know, sometimes you might go to the cemetery just to visit their grave. Mm-hmm. And you just want to think back and you just want to remember them. And you want to just like, you know, I don't have you in this life anymore. But I have the hope of being with you. Well, sometimes that's how I feel a lot. It's like, I don't live in some kind of nagging regret because Jesus has freed me from that. But I also recognize I've had earthly losses, but they're temporary. In the light of eternity, my losses, and I never went on to bear natural children. And so, and that's a loss for me too. And I, and you know, I've lived with consequences, but my consequences are without condemnation. I have no condemnation. I live with consequences, but there's grace for that. I, um, several years, like 15 years or whatever, after my abortion, I, I got breast cancer and I walked through a breast cancer journey. And I believe that that my breast cancer was connected to my abortion. And there is a connection there, even though a lot of proportion medical people will, will deny right, that and say there right. are studies and so on. But, but you know, it's like, but I didn't feel by the time that manifested in my life, I didn't feel like, oh, this is God punishing me. I didn't, I didn't go there. But if you're not healed, that's exactly where you go. You go to, well, of course, of course, this is going to happen to me. This is God punishing me. I deserve this. I, that's where you go when you're not healed. When you're healed, you're like, Lord, this is hard and it's another loss and something I have to go through, but you are for me. Yeah. You are for me. You're in my court. We're walking this healing out together. Mm. And you trust your Jesus is that he's brought you this. He's going to bring the next thing. And you, he will never bring an accusation upon you ever. Yeah. That's the kind of freedom that you can walk in when you're walking in freedom in Jesus. It's like I'm hearing you say that the theme of that is no condemnation. It's like there's appropriate grief because you've lost children. If you didn't have grief for that, there would be something off. But you're walking in um, like there's just a theme. There's a banner over you. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I think I'm kind of hearing you say both with the Lord and with others when you're healed – um, you know, I just love the the um, fully known and fully accepted kind of, yes. and it's like the only place we can have that perfectly is in a relationship with Christ. But, um, you know, there's a Tim Keller quote that I can't remember it, but it, ultimately it's a lot of times we fear like if I'm fully known, then I won't be fully accepted. Yes. And if I'm fully accepted, then I really fear to be fully known. But when you're healed, whether it be of abortion or or any like lingering sin, or it's like I can be known because I know that I'm accepted already. Like I'm accepted by the Lord. I'm accepted in the family of God, and so because I'm free, I can be known by others. Yes, and you know, 
in the family of God, you are accepted because you're accepted by the Lord. And so you don't have to live in fear of being known anymore. And there's just, um, you don't have, like, you don't have this, like, deep, dark secret that's eating away at your soul because, like, yeah, you're, like, you're free. You're living this, you know, wild abandonment, like, kind of freedom where you're just able to say, I am known, I am accepted. That's right. And you can sense when someone has a deep peace about them. Yeah. And you're like, this person's, they're, they're at peace with themselves. And they're not trying to prove something. You know, it, it, when you're around that and you experience that from someone, you're like, this is a soul that is, is whole. You know, this is a soul that has, has walked some things out and, it, and is able to get to the place. And it's so, um, in fact, it's so amazing. I think one of the reasons that, one of the other ways that Lord manifests at our retreats is this, this ministry team. They all have walked through whatever whatever their life story was that they've walked through and brought through healing. Um, our participants feel so comfortable with them. You feel like, all right, these are safe people. Or you, they feel drawn like they need mothered and they need fathered. It's a lot of what it is. Or you just need to have a friend that you can, you know, and they feel that from us and they and they receive it. So that's really the Lord, you know, manifesting through us, but it brings their heart to peace. You know, and so people gravitate toward people of peace Absolutely. and people that you feel like are whole, people that you feel like are, you don't have to, you know, do something to please them. You can just be yourself with that. And I think that's, if the body of Christ could get to that point where we're just people of peace, people of the spirit of the Lord, people of joy, that we can go to those hard places with you because we're not afraid of your pain. Right. We know that you're afraid of your pain and that's because you're not healed but I'm not afraid of your pain and I'll go there with you. And so that's really what we need to be for each other. That's good. Yeah. And I I just, as you've been saying that, I've been thinking, yeah, it's just like, it's that way for all sin, like all, all, all things that were, that are sinful. And, uh, and so it is so powerful. It's such a good, um, such an incredible mystery. So we are kind of, uh, yeah, we want to be, um, consider of your time. Yeah, you know, we're, we're running a little bit late, but we're just curious. How about after um, Roe versus Wade has been overchanged? Oh. What kind of uh, have you seen any um, uh, any changes any or differences yeah. in your ministry and anything like that since then? Yeah, that's really good and important question. I'm glad you. you know, I'm glad you asked it because the answer is yes. Um, now uh, I'm on a. I'm on a part of a coalition of other post-abortion ministries, and we have this discussion now um, since this summer, you know, and um, and those other uh, post-abortion ministries that I know of that have hotlines, because the, there are some that actually have hotlines people can call, they said there definitely there's an uptick in the hotlines people are calling. But part of what is, is happening is you can't escape the abortion discussion, right? You turn on the news, any newscast, especially when it's during elections, it's during you know campaigns, all these things. It is constantly before us. And as as this Dobbs Dobbs case went before the Supreme Court, I mean, we were inundated with all the time. Well, when you're not healed, and you have an abortion wounded heart, you are triggered at every turn. Yeah. Like something's going to be my, every time you turn on it, every time you see a bumper sticker, every time you see, every time you see the protester, every time you see, you're gonna, it's cause you are getting triggered. And that's exactly what's happening 
And so um, it's all, but I believe the Lord, it's the Lord that is bringing it to the surface. Because like, you know, you culturally have stuffed everything and you've justified everything and you're just moving on. But the Lord's like, if we're ever going to conquer this spirit of doubt and, and um, unveil it for what it is, he's, he's this, the, the wound has got a surface. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe the Lord is using it to surface it for people. And they're either going to be like, I, all right, I need help and I need to go get help. Or you're just going to dig your heels in and go further into your bondage. But uh, I'll tell you another uh, really sobering statistic. Chemical abortions. The, these are the two pills that you take to self-abort. And so, um, right. And really, this really took on a huge um advancement during COVID, okay, when the whole lockdown happened. And so right now, statistically, they're telling us that 54% of the abortions are happening in our country. 54% are chemical abortions. And what that means is you're getting a pill, pills, two pills, you're going home, your apartment, you're going somewhere, and you are administering that yourself. And likely that you're by yourself because, you know, who are you going to bring in who are you going to bring in the room with you for that? You know, and so the way that they're referring to it now is if you're doing a chemical abortion at home, your home becomes the abortion facility. And you are going to see it. You're going to see that baby expelled. You're going to know that it was, it was of your own choice, your own volition to do it. You took the pill, you did whatever, and you can't blame anyone else but yourself. And so in some ways it, it breaks a denial, but it is much more traumatizing to be able to visually see and, yeah. and you know, just the physically what your body goes through to expel that. So, um, so when you think about, we have a whole new generation coming up where chemical abortions are going to be preferred because you feel like you don't even have to go get it. You don't even have to go to a clinic. You can just do it in the privacy of your home. And you think you're somehow shielding yourself even more, but you are opening up devastating doors that you, you can't even imagine. And right now, and I just heard this statistic the other day as well, right now, even though there's now kind of like a, a abortion states and non-abortion states, you know, like Tennessee is, is, a, is, a, is thankfully, you know, you, you can't get an, a, a surgical abortion in Tennessee right now. But and so that's why other states are trying to calling it abortion tourism to go to other states, you have your abortion. But um, there are 72 different websites right now that you can access and you can buy an abortion pill and it'll come to your door. 72 different websites and if they're unregulated and you know you don't have to have parental consent, you know. So just the, the craziness and the, the recklessness of that kind of policies um, in our in our nation or anywhere in the world where uh, young girls or old, whoever you can just think hey this will be this will be done in no time and I'm moving on with my life one of the one of the gals that I on your last podcast that I listened to I love what she said it was profound she said you don't get to choose your consequences hmm. and I thought that is so true when you go into having abortion you think you tell yourself, you're just, you'll deal with it. That's what you tell yourself. I'll just have to deal with it. But you can't even imagine what you're going to have to deal with. You don't get to choose your consequences. And so that's why the Lord, he wants, he, he doesn't want you, he doesn't want anyone to go down the road of destruction. It's the enemy that steals, kills, and destroys. Yeah. 
And even like those consequences, you were saying that this, you know, the chemical abortions are reckless. And I think that's so true because there's just so many side effects that people did not, like they're not expecting. They're not expecting to bleed to death in their own bathroom. And, you know, obviously that is not happening to most women who, who do this, but it is happening and it's happening more often than what the media would want anyone uh, to believe. But there is something I want for our listeners to know about while we're on this topic, and that is the abortion reversal pill. Um, And so maybe just to kind of throw that out for anyone that's listening, if, if, if anybody ever hears of someone who starts the abortion, um, like maybe takes the first pill, you can, they say, hey, call as soon as you change your mind. Because a lot of people, I imagine, take that first pill and then you do have that moment of like, what have I just done? Um, yes. But it, it can be reversed. Um, well, it can be reversed. And I, in fact, I just heard this story this week uh, on this coalition that I'm on that have, that have the hotlines. They're having gals, um, you know, say they go to, say, Planned Parenthood or somewhere. They get these pills. They're in their car in the parking lot. They take the first pill. They panic. And they decide. Then I was like, I don't want to do this. And so there's some hotline. They're getting hotline calls. They're like, I'm in my car. I'm going to try to throw up. What should I do? Can you help me know what to do? You know, and it's like, oh my gosh. So, so there's that, there's that panic, there's that whatever. But even in the abort, abortion reversal pill uh, protocol, there is, there's a, a short window of opportunity mm-hmm. uh, for, for that to happen in a, in a safe kind of way. And it needs to be, you need medical attention with that. Yes. So, you know, the people really need to understand that, like, um, there is a way out, but you have to act on it and you have to get to, you have to get to the right people that are going to help you with that. Yeah. I think from one of the stories I heard, this woman did go on to have a healthy baby, but she had to get, um, progesterone shots like every single day or every two days, um, through the, like halfway through her second trimester. Um, and so, but I think like it's, you can just Google abortion reversal and obviously we're not hoping that people go that route we hope people don't you know start the abortion but it is pretty wild that um that has come up and that people are able to to do that i don't know if you want to i don't know if you want to post this but there is a there is a hotline for abortion reversal i have the hotline yeah what is that put that um this is with a ministry called heartbeat international and they have a helpline just for, or kind of a hotline helpline. It's 877-558-0333. 877-558-0333. And um, yeah, and that's those are good people. That's right. And we always like to talk about um, the love line. I think we've mentioned it almost in every single one of Abby these Johnson. podcasts. But yeah, Ab- are you familiar with Abby Johnson? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Pro she, love. Yeah. she has um, a a hotline, and she's yes. just kind of committed to whatever need a family has. She will yeah. find a way through the church to yes. meet the need, so that parents can have their children and be equipped to have their yeah. children. And so. It's- it's been tremendous to see the the churches are coming alive with this. They're coming away recognizing it's our time, it is our watch. If if anyone's going to help change a culture, 
it's got to be the church. Right. And one of my one of my things is, you know, we not only need to to develop a culture of life, you have to develop a culture of healing. Because you can have a culture in your life in your church, but if people don't know that it's a safe place to heal, they're not going to come out of the closet. But if you communicate in all kinds of different ways, churches can communicate this, that you honor life and you are going to you and you're going to give them a pathway to healing. People are going to come out of the closet and they're going to trust you. It's good. Yeah, I think if I got anything from this podcast, it's it's that it's the uh, what is a a, um, a healed heart? Like, what's the path to a healed heart and, and walking people that way? And, and uh, yeah, it's something that honestly, uh, I'm probably not super great at. You know, and, and I need to really like put some serious thought well, who into is? it. Yeah. I mean, really, you kind of learn it as you go, and I think that's what the Lord wants to do. It's like. You know, we can grow in this. Like no one knows. Like I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to do this. You know, it's like you just jump in and learn. And I just think that's to not be intimidated by I'm not like highly skilled or I'm not I don't have all these degrees. You don't need a lot of degrees. You need the love of God and you need the wisdom of God and you need a community of people that you can grow together, make state mistakes together but see victories together. And that's that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus is not asking us to be perfect, but he is asking us um, to grow. That's good. Well, I think uh, with that, I guess one last question is like, how can somebody be a, like, how can they help out with Deeper Steel? You know, or yeah, how can somebody uh, get involved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, um, our website is the best way to get in touch with us, with this deeperstill.org. And so, um, you know, anyone can find us and can find where our retreats are. In fact, I might say that we're not just a local ministry. Our whole our whole mission is to uh, create deeper still chapters around the country. And so right now we have like 27 chapters around the country. Okay. And we also have a particular outreach to Chinese too. So we also have kind of a Chinese aspect of our ministry, both Chinese here, but we've also been to China and we're been to Taiwan once and we're working. So, I mean, the Lord's opened up all these crazy doors yeah. because um, just another statistic, only 2% of the world's abortions happen in the United States of America. Yeah. 98% of the abortions are international. So it, we live in an abortion wounded world. Right. And no matter what mission trip you go on, no matter what people group you're, you are interacting with people who have innocent blood on their hands and they have abortion wounded hearts. Um, can I mention too, I wrote, I actually wrote a book for people that might not be able to come to a retreat. I did write a book called Healing the Heart That Won't Heal. You can get this on our website or through Amazon, but it's freedom for the abortion wounded and help for the church they fear. And my real burden is for churches. It's like for church leaders to, first of all, how do I, how do we begin to talk about this in our church? How do we be a church that honors a culture of healing? That's good. How do we do that? And that's really what my kind of burden is for that. But um, so there are resources. There's resources out there. And if, whether you've had your abortion, you know, six months ago or you've had your abortion 60 years ago, you can come to this retreat. And we've had several people in their 70s um, come to our retreats um, that had their abortion 60 years ago. And um and, you know, and their big regret is, why did I have to wait this long? Why did I wait this long? I could have gotten this healing so decades ago, you know? And so it was like, you know, don't wait, don't, don't live in torment your whole life. If you've fallen and you've had this trauma happen to you, come to the foot of the cross, come to Jesus. You can get your life back. 
but you just got to be willing to come. That's good. Well, Karen, it's so encouraging to talk to you because it sounds like your journey has been, you know, after abortion, it's like, oh, I just need to sit on the sidelines a little bit, like try to, you know, maybe, yeah, be on the side and try to go unnoticed, but try to keep doing, you know, quote, the right thing or whatever. And it sounds like the Lord has really moved you to not just being in the game, but to being one, like the captain of the team in the game. And so there's been um, a lot of work in you that he has in turn used in a lot of other men and women as well. And so it's so encouraging to to meet you tonight and get to, to speak with you and, and learn a little bit about you and your ministry and about Deeper Still. Thank you. And you know, I might just, if I just had one more thing to what you just said, you know, one of my biggest fears, like when I was, you know, totally not healed yet, but taken like my biggest fear was like, Lord, what if you make me share in front of people sometime? Like that was going to shut me down for the rest of my life. And that's where people live. Their, their yeah. biggest fear is what if I have to tell somebody sometime? So if you can imagine the millions and millions and millions of people, they're just like you said, you just shrink back. You're in the sidelines. You're not engaged because, you know, look. well, and, but, you know, for me, it's like the Lord, all he required, say your first yes. That's right. There you go. I didn't know where that first yes was going to lead. I had no idea. Like, if I'd have known this, I'd be like, uh, got the wrong girl. <laughs> you just start with your first yes. And Jesus just honors the first yes. And then down the road, he'll probably ask you for another yes. But but you can trust him with them. And your your heart is steady, a little more steady to take, to take the second yes. And then there's the third yes. And it's just like that. He doesn't overwhelm you. It's like, take the first yes. Yeah. Which, you know... Oh, that's the that's the Christian walk right there. It's like where where will I make Jesus the Lord of my life today? And you know I can say yes, and then you know tomorrow it might be a little bit bigger. But it's like you know we always used to say we worked in college ministry, and it's like you don't just all of a sudden wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be a foreign missionary. But it takes lots of little lordship okay. decisions. It's like you didn't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to um, be leading a multi franchise ministry but it's it's a lot of little yeses along the way and so we're thankful and we we praise god for those little yeses yeah absolutely thank you for listening to reclaiming families check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts blogs news and events we look forward to seeing you all next time